Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be here today together in this place. We know that you have provided all the resources for us to be able to do this. Lord, we know that you created the flowers, that you have sustained the flowers through all the sin and difficulty that have been in this world since sin was introduced. You preserve them for us to enjoy, and we're so grateful for that. So I pray that you would help me to glorify you in this presentation, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm doing the three hours seasonally. We're going to start with spring flowers, then we're going to go into summer flowers, and then we're going to go into the fall. Um, and then the very last class will be how to make bouquets and sort of more about a little bit more about like marketing the flowers. So the theme, who here knows the theme of the conference? Yes, a living parable. So parables are pretty amazing things. <laughs> they're not just for young people, but they're for adults too. We, we continue to learn in the garden so much every day. So Larry and I have been farming for 13 years. I'll give just a small introduction. Um, when Larry and I first met, neither one of us were Christians, and the Lord brought us together. We were married in a Sunday-keeping church, and then we met Adventists. Um, I was going to graduate school in Seattle, Washington, and that is where Larry first interned on a farm. And through the process of a wonderful testimony, the Lord um, introduced us to the Seventh-day Adventist beliefs and doctrine. So, or God's truth, however you want to say it. Um, the reason why I tell you that is because all these many years of farming, we never grew flowers. I toyed with like some bee mix, you know, just to attract pollinators, and I put them out and, and it was great. I've planted sunflowers maybe one or two times, but the, the whole time Larry was working as a farmer, I was a nurse and a dietitian. So I was, what I would do is I would work 40 hours a week and as soon as I came home I would work on the farm as much as possible, which would be about 24 hours a week or something like that. So uh, the Lord blessed us and I've been full-time farming for two years now. So we've been growing flowers for three years. And the flowers have been such a blessing in our production on the farm. It's actually really boosted our income to the the uh, degree that we are fully sustainable now. We do it as a, as a full-time job, the both of us at home. So that is such a blessing. So our desire is to share with you all the values in farming and gardening and the flowers. Who here knew that Ellen White loved flowers? Did anyone know that? Has anyone read that in Spirit of Prophecy? She talks about the flowers. It's such a cool thing. I have just a couple quotes here just to kind of get our minds set in the right place. So this is a Spirit of Prophecy quote from Review or Herald and Review, June 1, 1871, Part 2. It says, Our flower gardens are now repaying us for the attention and labor we have bestowed upon them. The flowering shrubs that live through winter are many of them pleasing to eye by putting out their buds and blossoms. The seeds we have carefully put into the earth are making their appearance, while others are thirsting for the gentle showers to awaken them to life. 
All of the beautiful in nature seems to be upon a strife to see which can vie with the other in contributing to our pleasure and happiness by their buds and blossoms of every hue. This really spoke to me because flowers are easier to grow than produce. <laughs> and I feel like she's kind of saying this a little bit in this um, this message, and I'll go into that a little bit more here as we continue on. This uh, reading is from 7LTMS, um, and it's 92 and 1892 part 3. Letters to Ministers, thank you. Seven Letters to Ministers, LT 92, 1892, Part 3. I think our location is favorable. We have a house separate from other houses. We have a large garden abounding with flowers. When we come here for months, four months ago, the whole place, about one acre of land, was grown up to tall weeds. In the garden, everything except the geraniums were dead. The girls went to work in the garden pulling weeds, making flower beds, sowing seeds for vegetables. It was very dry, so we bought a hose, and Marion was chief in the flower garden. With water, the flowers sprang up. Dahlias, the richest beauties, are in full bloom. The fuchsia flourish. I never saw them blossom as they do here. The geraniums, Lady Washington's, and immense bunches of the richest colors to delight the eye. Now the geraniums have mostly ceased to bloom, but the chrysanthemums are in their glory. I never saw such abundance or a great variety. They are just beautiful. Marion has an exercise and something to call her out, and it has done her good. There's so many principles in this quote that really spoke to me. So one is everything was covered in weeds and nothing was blooming except, what did she say? Geraniums. The geraniums. It's really true. These flowers are pretty amazing things that a lot of times things fail and the flowers seem to persevere. She also talks about how Marion going out to exercise really did her well. And... This is a personal testimony of mine. In my background, I struggle with depression sometimes, and the flowers really help to make you feel better, partially because you're outside, you're in the fresh air, and you're exercising, partially because if you just look here at these beautiful flowers, how can you not be joyful? Because they're so amazingly made. They're so detailed, the colors are so beautiful, and it really just warms your heart to think about how God created these for us to enjoy. So just remember, Ellen White really liked flowers. So how flowers feed the soul. This is Larry holding a bucket of my favorite flowers. They're called ranunculas. And do you see this semi-smile happening right here? <laughs> He's holding it back, but he can barely hold it back because those flowers are so pretty. Larry enjoys the flowers, too, and it's been such a blessing on our farm to have them. So what is a parable? So 
I thought it was pretty neat. I just Googled it. Oh, you know, one thing I forgot to mention. I'm really sorry. I forgot to mention this. All of my slides are available on the AdAgra website. So if you were to go there right now, there's a, on the menu bar, it says handouts 2020. And those are my lectures. So um, they're all available there. You can download them there or look at your phone while we're going through it or just I thought it would be better not to print them off for two reasons, to save some trees, and also because I think we engage better instead of flipping through notes. Just so you'll know, the, all the notes will be there for you to download afterwards, so don't feel like you have to frantically take notes about what I have on the slides, because you can easily download them afterwards. Sorry I didn't mention that before. So I looked this up, I just Googled define parable, Oxford Dictionary. A simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson as told by Jesus in the Gospels. There's not a lot of definitions in Oxford that say Jesus in it. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so this picture here, don't, do we look happy in that picture? Don't we look pretty genuinely happy in that picture? That's my mother. That's my brother, who uh, my mom and him were separated when he was three years old, and they got reunited this year in October. And that is how happy we all are in front of the flowers, because the flowers have a part in this whole story. So if you want to know the testimony, ask me later, I'll go into it. But flowers um, bring people together in a very special way. So when I think of parables in the garden, you can go you know, pretty simple, or you can go deep in your understanding of these things. So. When I pick flowers, I think about how uniquely and wonderfully we all are made. Every flower is different. Every single flower is unique and different. There's not going to be one flower that's the carbon copy of another, ever. And the other thing that I see every day, I will go out and harvest a bunch of flowers, and I think I won't have enough for the next day, and I go out there, and do you know there's just as many the next day? These flowers, the more you pick them, the more they grow with some of the varieties, and we'll go into that. So to think, it's every day there's new beauty growing, and we can apply that to our lives. You know, we want to, we want to constantly be growing. We don't want to be still. We don't want to think we know everything and we don't need to learn anything else spiritually. Oh, I've got all the doctrines, I know all the things, I don't need to grow or know anymore. Well, we will always be growing and learning new things. And the relationships, I touched on how flowers, not only with family, have really um, just improved my life, but also with our farmer's market customers. And we'll go into that more, too. And the health principles. Ellen White brought that out in the quote about exercise, uh, being outside in the garden. You know, if we think about it, who was the first gardener? Just throw it out there. Who was the first gardener? Okay, so this is so profound. In Genesis 2, it says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. So that means technically God was the first gardener. Because some things it says in the Bible, he spoke it. But this said God planted it. And we know if God was a gardener, and he made Adam and Eve the first gardeners on this earth as their job, that tending to a garden is really wh where we're meant to be. So there's so many health principles in the garden. 
So some of the reasons why we incorporated flowers into our farm. So for those that missed it, we're predominantly a vegetable farm. And I'll go into more details about that. But we started growing flowers three years ago. And once we started at the farmer's market, we put the flowers there with all the produce. And you would not believe how much it attracts people. People love flowers. They stop in their tracks and say, what is that? It's so beautiful. I've never seen anything like that. And so it brings joy and beauty to the farmer's market and the booth. The other benefit is it's going to attract pollinators to your, your garden. It's going to bring the bees and the butterflies and all the good bugs that we want to see in the garden. And the ones that we hear buzzing around, the bumblebees and all those wonderful things that we, we hear in the garden too that attracts all those things. It, br it brought to us a whole new customer base that we did not even know it would do. Uh, we have been farming in our area now for seven years. We have a good customer base and it brought a whole new group of people to our table that now also buy produce from us because they're coming for the flowers and then they get the produce. And I continue to say this because it's true, it's our experience anyway, they are easier to grow than produce. Now I don't want to ever discourage you from growing food because that is necessary to have both. We need the balance of both because we need to feed the body and the heart. Um, but there are areas of our fields that don't grow food that well that we will grow flowers in. So keep that in mind. <laughs> um, Tell me here, is anyone here ever never grown a flower? Raise your hand if you've never grown a flower. So just a few people. So, and most everyone else has tried it a little bit at least, which is great. So you all have some, a little bit of an experience with it. A couple of you don't, and so I'm hopeful what this lecture will do is encourage you to plant a flower seed, whether it's a sunflower seed or whatever it is that you want to try this next season. So now I'm going to go into spring flowers and the spring flowers are really unique because a lot of them you, you plant in the fall and then you let them winter over. They tend to need a little bit more protection and it can be a little bit more complicated. So as we Go into this first section, it might feel like there's no way I can do this because there's way too much involved. Just keep in mind, this is to get early flowers, so it takes a little bit more um, kind of tools to do that. But as we transition into the summer flowers, they're much, much easier. Um, so don't get discouraged if you feel like I don't have the, the resources to do all this. It doesn't mean that you have to. I just wanted to do it seasonally for spring and summer and fall. So just keep that in mind. Some of the benefits of growing a spring flower is the early income that it draws into the farm. Um, people are really hungry for flowers in the spring. <laughs> and so when you bring flowers to the table in the spring, it just, it attracts a lot of people. And it's just nice to have something growing that early. We have a hard time on our farm growing spr spring crops because we get a lot of rain in the spring. And the flowers have been really amazing at kind of supplementing our income. There's a lot less weeding that takes place with spring flowers because you're planting them in the fall, they're wintering over, and then you're, you're harvesting them. So there's minimal weeding taking place because it's kind of growing in the colder season. So you don't have a lot of these weeds coming up. And then if they're perennials, 
a lot of the flowers that are perennials you don't have to reseed. So you plant them once, you kind of forget about them, and then guess what? They come back the next year, and it's just this gift that keeps on giving. And some flowers you have to dig up and replant, uh, but some you can keep in the ground, and we'll go over that too. And so that's some reasons why we grow the spring flowers. So this is the zone map. It is important to know what zone you live in, so you kind of have an idea of what can grow and how and timing and all that. And in the end here, I'm gonna give you all a resource of my telephone number and my email, because we are here to help anyone with anything they need help with to encourage you to grow flowers. So if you have a question, whether it's a simple question or a difficult question, you can email me or text me or call me. And that's what I had as a resource. We have Mennonite neighbors that do flowers for a living. And I cannot tell you how many times I called her when I was first starting out with little questions. Can you put this flower in the cooler? Do you pinch this flower back? How is the spacing on this flower? And she answered the phone every time and she helped me every time. And I'm willing and able to do that for anyone as well, because that's what you need in the beginning. There's a lot of questions, a lot of unknowns. So um, just remember that. So the zone that we grow in is six and Florida is an eight to 10, depending on what part of Florida you're in. So as we're talking through some of this stuff, just remember we're, sick, we're talking about for zone six growth. Um, and a lot of it can be tweaked to fit your, your zone, your temperature zone. So these are the cool weather spring flowers that we grow. Ranunculas, anemones, narcissus are also known as daffodils, poppies, snapdragons, and straw flower. So I had to start with my favorite flower, right? You have to start with your favorite. This is my favorite flower. This is called a ranuncula. And it's so funny because my mom has been trying to pronounce this ever since we started growing flowers. She still has a hard time. She's ranunculas. So they have the funniest name. It's an Italian specialty flower. They also have varieties that come out of France. And we were introduced to these by our Mennonite neighbors. And when I first saw it, I just fell in love with it. It's a wonderful flower. It's a little tricky to grow, but we've been successful at it. So we are gonna share with you what we've learned in growing these flowers. So they're just beautiful. So they are annuals. Technically, they're, it's kind of a little tricky. Some climates, people talk about keeping them in the ground and them coming back up. We've had volunteers come back up before. However, the, the ranuncula and anemone, would you call it an industry? A lot of them are patented. So you can't legally keep it and grow it again. They kind of require that you purchase, they're called corums. I'll show you a picture of them. Not all of them are patented, but a lot of them are. So um, you have to keep that in mind and just know which ones you're growing, whether or not you can save the quorum and replant it or just buy new ones every year. So there's two types of, of planting for them. You can plant them in the fall. They like a cold snap and then they'll, they'll bloom in the spring or you can plant them in the spring. So my understanding is the difference is if you plant them in the fall, you're gonna get more flowering. They have a longer time to establish and grow. If you plant them in the spring, you, they'll work. You're just not gonna get as many flowers. 
So I put here, and like I said, for anyone that just walked in, all my slides are going to be downloadable. They're right now on the AdAgra website. So don't feel like you have to write every single detail down because you'll be able to access this. So these are the two companies that we order from. Um, the, for the Italian varieties, it's Glockner or Etni flower bulbs. I'm sorry, Awnings is the Italian variety. So if you want the Italian varieties, it's Awnings. And then for the Glockner, Etni flower bulbs is for the ones out of France. So this little flower, you're going to get a corum, and you have to pre-soak it and pre-sprout it. And I'm going to show you videos on that. Uh, this talks about the planting. You're going to plant them six, you can do it six to nine inch spacing. And this is where when you're looking stuff up on the internet, you're going to get ranges a lot of times. It'll say six to 12 inch spacing, six to nine inch spacing. And you're thinking to yourself, well, which one is it? Is it six or is it nine? And you kind of just play around with it. A lot of times, um, a lot of times you can make things a little tighter. Like we tend to go for the lower end of things to pack more in. Um, and that usually works with flowers. We do um, six inch spacing with five rows per bed. What? So our beds are uh, a four inch bed top. I'm sorry, four foot. Four foot bed top. That's why he's here to help with. Four foot bed top. So we do five rows per bed, six inch spacing between them in the row. So protection is necessary for these in the zone six. We have them in a greenhouse with row cover over them. We're gonna talk about the harvesting these store very well in a cooler. One of the best things about the ranuncula is that they will last for about two weeks in a vase. You pick them when they're very tight. If you can remember what this one looked like. It, it starts out pretty tight like that. You pick it and it will slowly open in the vase. And even when it starts to wane, it's really pretty. So you can sometimes even get more than two weeks out of them in a vase. And they're very high demand flower, very high demand. So this is what they look like when you get them in the mail. Can you believe that makes that beautiful flower? So they come in these bags and you get them and they kind of look like little bunches of bananas. And you're thinking, how in the world is that going to grow that flower? So you have to pre-soak them. So this next video is showing you the buckets. You have to, I'm just going to, you can't hear it anyway. You have to, um, so we buy at the store the bubblers that you put in a fish tank. And you put them, make sure you label them when you put them in the bags because you want to make sure to know the variety name. And you're going to be soaking them anywhere from 8 to 12 hours depending on if it's an anemone or a ranuncula. There's a little bit difference there. So you see how plump they look here in this far right picture? That's after they've soaked and they're ready to be pre-sprouted. So this is the soaking process. They need the bubblers going on at this, while you're soaking them because they need oxygen flow. It kind of brings them to life. The oxygen helps to bring them to life. It also prevents rotting. So you um, want to make sure the other method you can do if you don't have the bubblers, they're pretty inexpensive to get. 
Um, but if you don't have them, is you can do like a continual water dripping. Like if you put the bucket in a sink, like some kind of uh, mudroom sink or something, and just have the water flowing, that's another way you can do it. So you want to make sure they're nice and plump. That's what they look like. And then you put them into, we put them in 10-20 uh, flats with dirt, um, our mixture we do coconut coir, um, perlite and vermiculite. And you put that soaked corum in the trays. And then after about 10 days, it's gonna look like this. This is slightly too much. They're sprouted just, we, we push everything to the edge. We're always like too late in doing things. So they look a little over sprouted and they are a little, it just makes for a little bit harder to plant because those roots are so long. You have to dig a bigger hole. It's not gonna hurt the plant. It just is a lot faster process in planting if you let them just, just barely sprout. And then you don't have to mess with all those long roots. But if it's like this, again, it's fine. You just have to dig a, you know, a deeper hole so that those roots can go in there. So that's what they look like once they're pre-sprouted and we're starting to plant them. So I'm very, very blessed to have a husband that is very supportive of the flowers. It takes support and help from the whole family to make this work. So, um, and again, if you don't have a lot of support, because sometimes this might be a new thing for people and maybe not everyone in the family is on board yet, then I'm your support person. And I will help to encourage you and help you to get it going. Because once they're going, everyone is gonna love them. And I'll just, a little testimony. At first, Larry was not on board. Can you believe that? So he was farming vegetables. I said, I want to grow flowers. He says, well, you can't eat a flower, even though we know there's edible flowers out there. He said, I could grow the edible flowers, but I said, I want to grow, you know, these flowers. And so he said, well, I'll give you this spot here to grow the flowers. And honestly, it was one of the worst spots on the whole farm. And I said, great, you know, I'll, I'll do it. So I planted them and they grew. And he was kind of like, wow. They actually grow in that bad, it was a spot that didn't drain well, and they still grew. So then we go to farmer's market, and we decided to have this policy where we give one bouquet away a market. And I, was, I would be very mindful of our customers. I would really watch. And I'll never forget some of these stories. One mom, you could just tell she was struggling. She had her little one with her. She was picking out flowers for a bouquet, and I wrapped it, and I gave it to her, and she's like, how much do I owe you? I said, you can just have it, and she just started weeping. And I had that story several times where people would just start weeping when I gave them flowers. And Larry said to me, I have given a lot of tomatoes away, and no one has ever cried, <laughs> ever. He's like, there's something about these flowers that we're growing. And ever since then, he has been fully on board. But it wasn't like that at first. So we need the support to just get it going. And once you see how much they will bless you in your life and your family, everyone will be on board. You can't look at this beauty here. You can't really deny the beauty of those flowers. So just remember, we're here to encourage you and help you. And I mean that with. People think, you're going to give everyone your phone number? Yes, I'm going to give everyone my phone number because we're, we're able to do that. 
So this is what it looks like. Larry built me a flower greenhouse for the first time this year. Well, we'll talk about, he built me one before, but it blew away. So this is our second flower greenhouse. And I just wanted to show you a picture of the greenhouse and then how we cover it with row cover. So this is just part of the process with ranunculas. They like it cold. They like it around 40 to 50 degrees. If they get too hot, they don't like it. So on a winter day and the sun is out, you have to go out there and open the greenhouse and uncover. Cover back up if it's gonna be colder than that at night. It's a big task because we're constantly covering and uncovering through the winter. If you don't do that, they, will, they won't do well. So like right now we have a young lady at our farm that we're paying her to open and close our greenhouses while we're gone because it's that important. This is what they look like as little plants. And I've got a few videos here of harvesting them. So this is me walking through, this is last year. Um, we grow a lot of different colors, and last year was my best year so far. This will be going into my third year of growing them. Yeah, third year of growing them. So we're really excited about it. So just a few, a little bit, just to show you the different colors. There's so many different colors. There's solid colors, there's striped ones. My favorite is that white one that has like a green center to it. And so we'll talk a little bit more about marketing the flowers to, you know, florist or doing them at uh, farmer's market only. But I just want to show you with the second video here how long these stems are. Because long stems are really great for florists. Florists like long stems and they're also, long stems are great too for making bouquets. So my favorite part of the day is going out to pick the flowers. Larry has to get me and say, come on, I need your help with the tomatoes and the lettuce and the potatoes. Stop picking flowers. So I just wanted to give you all a little overview of our experience with them. So our first year growing them which would have been planting in 17 in the fall and the season of 18 would have been the harvest. We had them in a small caterpillar tunnel. They did just fine in there. We had a caterpillar tunnel with row cover inside of it. We grew about 450 of them and I sold every single stem that I grew. And you sell them for $3 a stem in our area. And the second year, because we did so well, we decided to boost it up to about 1,000. So I have to tell you the testimony of the flower greenhouse. So the, the second year, Larry built me a greenhouse. We had the thousand flowers in there and they were growing wonderfully. And we're sitting in the living room one afternoon. It was in February and I hear this terrible noise. I run outside. This entire greenhouse was lifted up by the wind, twisted, it looked like a DNA strand, all the metal, and slammed on the ground every single piece of Larry built it by hand he drilled each hole he bent each pole it was destroyed and I was in shock and would you believe it every single flower was okay that was inside of there not a single flower got damaged it picked it up twisted it and slammed it down next to it so he quickly put a makeshift caterpillar tunnel over them and we had the best harvest we had had. 
despite the greenhouse <laughs> blowing away. So this is an amazing thing. It's a testimony to God and how he sustains things for us in the midst of difficulty. So because we did so well, we are going for big ranunculus this year because they're my favorite flower. We're growing 2,700 of them in this greenhouse. And we will look forward to sharing with you all how they do um, when you call me in April and have questions. I'll tell you how they're doing. So here's just a few pictures. So like I said, they last about two weeks in a vase. You pick them when they're really tight, and then they will just slowly open. So I'm going to go into anemones now. This is going to go a little bit quicker because they're very similar to ranunculas and how you pre-sprout, soak, pre-sprout, plant, spacing. All these things are really the same. Uh, this is actually, I'm going to carefully pass this around because I want everyone to to see or feel it close up so they can see what the flowers are like. So Therese brought them for me. She grows ranunculus and anemones. And she lives in a climate in Tennessee that's a little bit warmer. So they tend to want to come on a little bit early, especially when our weather's so crazy like this. When we have these really warm days, um, they want to push open. So. The anemones tend to do that a little bit more even than the ranunculus. So they're so beautiful. And like a sea anemone, they open and close with the light. So that's kind of where they get their name. So I want to show you all, too, uh, to think about this leaf set here. One of the tricks I've learned with harvesting them is you're going to know it's, it's a younger flower if the leaf set is higher up. You, anemones are ones that you really want to pick every day because they're kind of hard to tell when they're an older flower or a younger flower, but you can often look at that leaf set. And if that leaf set is kind of farther down on the flower bloom, then that can tell you that it's a little bit older of a flower. <clears throat> so again, really all of these things are the same as the ranuncula as far as ordering them, the soaking and pre-sprouting and the protection and the harvest. Um, the only major difference is I feel like you have to be a little more aggressive with uh, picking the anemones. You really want to make sure it's a younger flower. It'll last longer that way. Um, with the ranunculas, you can just tell easier because the flower is going to be a tighter bloom. So it's a little bit easier to tell. So our anemone story is not as successful as our ranuncula story. Um, it's interesting because I've talked to many flower farmers and they're telling me anemones are, are way easier to grow than ranunculus. And our experience has been the total opposite. We have really struggled with the anemones. The ranunculus seem to do well for us. Um, we have trouble in the pre-soaking and pre-sprouting phase. A lot of them rot for us. So there's a, we tried getting different water because we have hard well water. We thought maybe that was the problem. Um, I tried to soak them less one year, and I think it actually made more rot happen because if you don't soak them enough to kind of make them alive, then they don't start the process of pre-sprouting. And I think what I did the second year, you see here, we decided to, to grow a 1,000, and I lost about three-fourths of the crop um, from rotting. And I think it's because I didn't soak them long enough, believe it or not. So there's some, a learning curve for us here still with the anemones. 
So this is the tricky part about flower farming. You're going to hear so many different things. And it's really hard because I've looked up online. Some say six to eight hours of soaking for anemones. For ranunculas, they say 12. I've tried it the less amount, and I actually had more rot than the longer. So it's hard because, and this is where really having someone to call is helpful, um, because we've tried it, and we can tell you what we've tried, so you don't have to like go through a lot of the things that we had to go through to try to figure some of this stuff out. I personally think there's this happy soaking time there. The first year that you had such success, how long did you soak them? Right. So what she's saying is, so the corms that you saw for the ranunculas, do you see how they went from that dried looking thing to the more plumped up looking thing? The anemones, they don't look like little bunches of bananas. Instead, they look like little round kind of prunes. And so they're real shriveled up. So they're not going to plump up as much. So you don't see as big a difference. So I think we're where we're comparing ranunculas with anemones, they're actually different in how they look in the pre-sprouting and soaking process, and then they also do for different hours. So ranunculas, you're gonna soak for longer with that bubbler, and she's also saying that maybe the anemones need more aeration. They're a little more susceptible to rotting, so you wanna make sure that they're um, aerating very well. So sometimes, too, in life and in gardening, certain things just do not work for you. Some things work really well for you. And sometimes we can figure out why it's not working. Sometimes we can't. And so it's okay to say, you know what? Ranunculas grow great for us. So we're going to really hone in on this thing that works great. And maybe we're going to just either table the anemones until we have time to really figure that out. Or we're just going to do a less amount of them. We want to have a little bit of a different flower, but we're not going to invest that much money in it if we keep having failure. So that's something, in, or you might be the type of person that's like, no, I'm going to keep trying and I'm going to figure out what's wrong and I'm going to make it work. Um, so it's kind of just where you're at. So for us, because we have a lot of things going on in the farm, we just decided to do less of them. We're going to just do more ranunculas because the ranunculas work better for us until we can you know, figure out what's really the issue. Um, we're just going to order a smaller amount. I'm going to keep trying because I would like to figure out what that happy soak time is for us. Um, so this year we ordered 500 and I lost about 125. So we're still doing the best we've ever done as far as that goes, um, but still not where I'd like to be. So next we're going to talk about the daffodils or the narcissus. And this is uh, bouquet bunches that I made that had the ranunculus and the daffodils mixed together, which I thought looked so pretty. They come on around the same time. The ranunculas are going to come on a little bit earlier but they they oftentimes complement each other and will be coming on around the same time so our first year ever doing the perennial bulbs was just two years ago and you're going to plant these in the fall you may have to protect the blooms if you start getting flowers and then you know a frost is coming and there's actually flower buds on there that you can see the petals. You might have to cover those to protect them to get those. Um, I'll talk to you. There's also a great way to store daffodils when they're just starting to open. Um, but other than that, you're going to plant these, cover that with the dirt, and eat. when they have little green sprouts coming up, it's fine in a frost. It's not going to hurt them. It really just hurts them when the flower is actually starting to, to bud. 
So you want to harvest them when they're not fully bloomed. They call it slightly nodding or gooseneck. The daffodil kind of looks like a little hook. And that will give it a longer vase life too. So some flowers, you can, you can pick them before they're fully open and they will open in a vase. Other flowers, you can't do that. You have to wait until they're fully open and we'll go into that in the next presentation. So um, anyone here ever harvest a garlic scape? So you harvest these like that. If you wanna get a really long stem, you kind of slowly pull at the very bottom and it will like pop. And the, there's like this much of a stem under the ground that will come out with it. So it'll give you a nice long stem. So practice it with your wild daffodils for those of you that have them growing everywhere. Um, just slowly pull at it and it kind of pulls that stem that's under the ground out. And there's an, an ooze that comes out of the bottom of the daffodil. Anyone ever notice that? Like a white substance? So I learned from flower, flower, other flower farmers that if you put that in a bucket with other flowers, that ooze will actually kill the other flowers. So you have to harvest them separately in a separate bucket. And then they call it conditioning. You leave it in that bucket for two to three hours, then you can add it with other flowers. And that's fine. You can't then recut it though. So if you have a, I'm making bouquets, then I have to make sure that my daffodil stems are about the size I want them, condition them, and then I can add them with other flowers and put them in water together. Does that make sense? And then, um, for storage, they do store well in the cooler, and you can dry store daffodils. So there's certain flowers that you can store in a cooler without water. Peonies is another one. So what you do is you harvest them when they're in the gooseneck phase. So imagine this is the bloom of the flower, the bud. It's not open. It's just starting to open. Maybe you see a little white, but it's mostly green. You pick them, you lay them on newspaper and wrap them in newspaper, and you can store them on the shelf in your cooler for one to two weeks with no water. And then I do that, like if I know a frost is coming, I don't have time to deal with hoops and row cover and all this, and they're, they, sometimes they'll all come on at once. I will pick them all and I'll store hundreds, dry storage, and then slowly pick them out of dry storage and add them to bouquets throughout the week. And they work really well doing that. And for ordering of, there's specialty, Narcissus or ranuncula or excuse me daffodils this the two varieties that I love are called replete and petite four this is a picture here of replete I think this one is replete and this is just a little video that kind of shows you all around how beautiful they are they're the most beautiful daffodils I've ever seen I was just used to the normal yellow ones that we see on the side of the road or the white and yellow ones I didn't know there's so many different varieties of daffodils um, and they look really beautiful with the ranunculas so just a little note about other flower bulbs um, Larry and I, because we're predominantly a vegetable farm, I've kind of streamlined the flowers that work for us. And I'll explain a little more about why I chose the ones that I did, but we don't really grow tulips. I love tulips, they're beautiful. But a tulip bulb, um, you, when you're cutting, cutting them and using them for bouquets, 
they're not perennial. You, to get that long stem, you have to dig the, the whole thing up. And that's just not really practical for us. We don't have the space. If I'm gonna do a bulb, I wanna do one that comes back. I don't wanna have to keep um, planting them. So we don't do tulips even though I love them. We do some lilies. Lilies are easy. Um, I would encourage lilies if anyone wants to try to do lilies. They can be left in the ground as a perennial or you can dig them up and replant them, whatever works best for you. Um, Dutch irises, I mean, there's so many different bulbs you can experiment with. And I would encourage you just to look through catalogs and books and pick the ones that you wanna try and see what works best for you. So the ones I'm sharing are just ones that we have grown that seem to work best for us. So the rest of the presentation is talking about hardy annuals that we grow from seed. So all the ones we just talked about are gonna be the corums or the bulbs. Um, and then the rest of these here are gonna be from seed. So the timing of starting these, so all of these that we're about to talk about like to go through a little cold snap. When they go through the cold snap, they do better. You're gonna get more flower production. If you plant them in the spring, they'll work. They're just not gonna be as prolific. So timing is important. You're gonna be seeding these in the fall, six to eight weeks before the first frost, um, or winter or early spring. So some of my hardy annuals, I didn't have time to seed before I came here and I'm going to plant them when I get home and they'll be fine. So again, this is one of those things where every flower is a little different, every zone's a little different. So I'm here to help if you have questions about your specific zone and when to plant. So small seeds can be hard to germinate. And I was sharing with a friend uh, yesterday, we think of farming and gardening, you know, there's a lot of blessing that come from it. But the thing that Larry and I've learned the most in the 13 years of farming, what we believe is one of the main purposes of it is character development. Because we learn so much about our characters when we fail, right? And there's some failure that happens in farming. And people say, well, I don't want to do it then if I'm going to fail. Well, we know there's a lot of growth that comes from failing too. Um, so there's a lot of trial and error. I've grown, I love poppies and they're really hard to germinate for me anyway, but I will not give up. I will keep trying and keep trying. The seeds are so tiny. Imagine a poppy seed on a bagel or something on bread. It's so tiny and they're very temperamental. They have to be open to light. You can't overwater them. So I'm experimenting. I've got some tips and ideas about how to try to get them to germinate better, but just don't be discouraged if things don't work. You have to keep trying because it will eventually work for the most part. And um, certain things are harder than others and whether you wanna tackle that or not, you have to figure out what works best for you. So the hardy annuals, they are ideally like at 70 to 75 degrees to germinate. You need grow lights, you'll need shelving, and oftentimes you're, have, you're gonna have to bottom water. So this is why I don't wanna stop growing poppies. Aren't those beautiful? They're so beautiful, I love them. So you are gonna start these from seed. We talked about them liking a cold snap. You're gonna plant them six to nine inch spacing. They do require in our area, once they're planted in the fall, they're gonna need a row cover of protection. When you harvest them, they're also, the, I delivered some to a florist last year and she told me, 
This is the most high maintenance flower of all the flowers. They call it the diva flower, whatever that means. But you have to see how this is cracked like this here. You can harvest them like this and it will open slowly. If you harvest them like this, they're not gonna last very long. The petals will fall off within a couple days. Also, you have to burn the tips with a flame. So um, you have to sear the bottom of them for a better base life. So a little bit high maintenance because you have to do all these things to make them last in a vase for a longer period of time, but they really are a beautiful flower. If you come by my booth when they're open this evening, I have more pictures of the poppies and they're just, the first one I ever grew, I think I stared at it for 10 minutes. <laughs> it has designs on the back of it too. And this inside part is just so detailed. This is like a little star in the middle. It's a really beautiful flower. And these are snapdragons and these are really fun to grow. They're pretty easy to grow and they're a great hardy annual. And they also will grow into the beginning of the summer too. You're gonna start these from seed. They like a cold snap, six to nine inch spacing. So these are a flower that you pinch. So when they start to put on those few sets of leaves in the beginning, you're gonna go in there and leave like one or two sets of leaves and pinch off the top. And that will make it branch and make, instead of one big snapdragon, it will make like two to three flower stems for you. So harvesting them, you're gonna harvest them when two to three flowers are starting to open at the bottom. So you see these at the top here? These will open in the vase and in the cooler. And they store really well in the cooler too. I've had snapdragons last a week or two in my cooler. So they're a good flower because they last a long time and they're a great, great addition to bouquets. Straw flowers are probably my third favorite flower, I think. I love straw flowers because these are what's called the forever flower. So you pick it fresh, you put it in fresh bouquets, or you dry it and it stays beautiful like that forever. And I have a bunch of them at my booth, so come by and see them because they retain their color once they're dried. So do you see this subtle smile happening here again? <laughs> he almost smiles when he's holding those flowers. He loves the flowers. So this particular variety is called copper, and the one on the far side is called silver rose. And they're just such a cool flower. So this is a little video of what the plants look like growing. They're really tall plants. In our area, we get a lot of thunderstorms and heavy winds in the spring and the fall. And I did not have to stake these. They're so sturdy. They just were nice and tall and I didn't, none of them really fell over. I'm like, this is an Indiana flower because you don't have to stake them. Also, you noticed, I'll play that video again. Um, you'll notice here how some of them are leaning over. So I called a fellow flower farmer and she told me, you want to wait until they're very staunch and up before you harvest them because otherwise they don't do that in your vase or in your, your bouquet. So you wait until they're standing straight up. You can pinch these and it will cause them to branch, but I also had other advice not to pinch them if I wanted a bigger flower. So I decided to try it without pinching to get the bigger flower, and I'm really glad I did because once I picked that main stalk and I got a nice long stem, these plants are like this tall. 
they branched anyway, and I got about three harvests out of the, this little patch of straw flower. I had them all season. Now, the first year I planted them in the summer and they did not do as well. They don't really, they like to have a cold snap first. So I planted them, last year I seeded them in February, I transplanted them in April, and they loved it. They liked that cold snap and then they just started branching and they grew all season for me. I picked on them until the end of the season, until the frost. So I highly recommend straw flower. And um, I pretty much said everything on this slide, so. Oh, as far as storage, if you want them fresh for bouquets, basically what that means is you want this pretty green greenery in your bouquet. You're gonna pick them and put them in the cooler in water and they do fine in there. The flowers will close and open. So they'll be closed in the cooler. You bring them out in the light and the warmth and they'll open some more. Um, if you want them for dried flowers, what I've learned is you pick them and do not put them in water. Just right away hang them upside down in a dark place. So our guest room closet is filled with dried flowers. So um, you just have to decide if you want to do them fresh or dried. Now there has been times I wanted them for fresh and I had some left over that didn't sell and I went ahead and dried them and that's okay to do too. They just dry better if they're never in the water, but they will still dry if you end up putting them in water and then drying them later. So I just wanted to touch a little bit on peonies and lily of the valley and, and um, the other lilies. So when we moved to our farm, the gentleman that built our farm had planted peonies. Peonies are the Indiana state flower, which is pretty cool. Um, and we had a ton of lily of the valley. So this is where, as a family, Start looking around your property, because you'll be surprised. You'll see some flowers growing here or there. Try to identify it, see what it is. You can do a vase test on the flower. What you do is you pick it and put it in a vase in your house and see how long it'll last. Some of these wildflowers last well in a vase. So some of my first flower bouquets were the ones that the gentleman had grown there before I started flower farming. Last year, I picked these Lily of the Valley and put them in little bouquets and they sold like crazy. And I mean, this is something that just grows kind of wild on our farm. And people love them because they smell so good. They're very fragrant. So I would encourage you to, you know, if you don't have anything going yet, when you get home this spring, you maybe remember, oh, I know there's some flowers over in that far corner in the woods by the house. Go check it out and see what it is. You never know, you might have a flower that's marketable. Oh yeah, so Lily of the Valley, you just want to be careful not to eat it because it's poisonous if you eat it. And there are some flowers like that. So you want to make sure when you're with your children just to educate them about not eating the flowers um, because it can make them not feel so good. Yes, yeah, so um, you also want to be careful, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. But some flowers like the Lily of the Valley, um, if I were to dig some up for you and give them to you to plant, they're ones that spread really quick. So if you have a plot that you don't want something to kind of take it over, you kind of have to educate yourself a little bit about what flowers do that and which ones don't. And I'm happy to help you with that too. But Lily of the Valley is one of those that you want to have like a, a border. Some, you could put like wood borders, something to make it stay contained. Otherwise it will totally take over your garden and you don't want Lily of the Valley everywhere in your garden. 
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.